Hey everybody, this is John Tatey welcoming you back to Pop Mom, the podcast where culture is relative. Yes, it's time again for my mom, Bonnie Tatey, to share her view of pop culture, small town life, and those riddles of human nature. On this episode, we discuss The Strike, that classic Seinfeld episode, probably better known as the Festivus episode. Let's bring mom in now. Hi, mom. Hi, Johnny. How are you? I'm good. Happy Thanksgiving. Belated happy Thanksgiving to you. I I accept those wishes with my heart. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, hey, I got a question for you coming out of Thanksgiving. I'm ready. Uh, we went to uh, my sister-in-law's uh, place uh, in uh, suburban Pennsylvania, about an hour outside Philly. And uh, they had a jigsaw puzzle out for a couple days. We were working on it. Now, um, my mother-in-law's approach to the jigsaw puzzle was to pick up a piece and then um, have the picture in her lap, and she would compare (laughs) the piece to the picture and say, you know, sit there, and then I think this goes on the, oh, this is part of the sunglasses, or, oh, this is in the corner. And I said to her, have you no shame? (laughs) That's cheating. And everybody said, oh, you're allowed to look at the picture. I said, nope. You look at the picture, you put it away, you put the jigsaw puzzle together. Now, I was roundly booed, I would say, by my family uh, for this. So what are the rules of jigsaw puzzles, Mom? How much are you allowed to look at the picture? Well, I think you're allowed to glance over and remind yourself, hey, this is, you know, this is a farm scene, not Armageddon and um, proceed from there. But it seems um, a little counterintuitive in that the the challenge isn't that that's not the challenge. That's (laughs) (laughs) that's right. That's right. She wasn't actually helping anybody fit the pieces together. It was just like, oh, this is a blanket piece. Well. Great. Thanks for nothing. Wow. You learn something new every day. I just really would never have thought there would be rules to putting a, a jigsaw puzzle. It, it just is understood. This is how you do it. So that's that's surprising. It's <laughs> That's weird, I think. Well, so you're against me then. You're saying there are no rules and do it however you want, which no, I guess is I think, true. No, I think the rules are understood. You dump the pieces out. You turn them all over. Uh, some yeah. people like to start on the edges, whatever. I think, I think the rules are implicit. They did not finish the border first. They just dumped all the pieces out <laughs> and they had some pieces on top of each other. You got to make one layer is the other thing. There can't be stacks of pieces. So I was furiously trying to make one layer. And then they keep putting pieces on top of each other. Oh, this was, it was puzzle chaos. I would have, I if you told me there was some discourse over a puzzle, I would be hard-pressed to think of what that is. But here it is. Um, well, aside from the puzzle, the week at my sister-in-law's was largely fight-free, delicious Thanksgiving meal. Uh, kids had a good time. It's fun to see the cousins play together. Yeah. Um, it was a largely idyllic Thanksgiving, so uh, mine was a great success. How about yours? Well, we went to Merrick's where we had a delicious meal. Um, I have to say, I think he snuck some cinnamon into the uh, sweet potato casserole uh, 
sweet potato casserole. I use that term loosely, uh, but I have not verified that. You use it loosely because it's just sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top? Well, I squeeze an orange into it and a stick of butter. So, oh, nice. Uh, you know, there's not, it's not really a, I don't know. I don't think it qualifies as a casserole. I thought you were going to say he snuck something else into the casserole and everybody had a great Thanksgiving. <laughs> the most chill, relaxing Thanksgiving of your lives. Well... They had wine, so they were maybe a little chill. Or I'm not even sure Merrick did, but I know Sarah did. Yeah, well, she needs it having to spend her holiday with the Tatys. <laughs> I think we were okay. Uh, did you watch any football over the weekend, Mom? Uh, football. I did not. Oh, basketball. Uh, basketball. Basketball. Okay, yeah. And um, you had to... You had a complaint or yes. a remark about the presentation of the sports. Yes, I do. <laughs> what have, is this? I don't know if they do this in football, but when there's a, a, the slightest lull, like we're waiting uh, for one of the players to get to the three-point line to shoot for a foul, there's a little ad that comes on on half of the screen and it's very, it's a, it's quiet. It's not, but it's very quiet. And uh, I do forget what they're for, uh, but they're just a little ad. I don't know if they're. When I've, you say quiet, do you mean silent or is it like, hey, buy some Q-tips the next time you're at CBS? Yes, it's like that. It's like, we are the. Oh, really? How You haven't seen this? I don't really watch basketball, oh. so I haven't seen it. And uh, on football, they just, they squeeze the. You know, they squeeze the football picture into a tiny rectangle, and then there's another, like, medium-sized rectangle that's playing the ad for progressive insurance or what have you. Um, but they just play the ad. Okay. Well, I, I'm against that. It's, it's you know, not the, whispering sweet nothings in your right, ear. No. Right. Um, my objection is, aren't you squeezing enough money out of the whole thing? The, the players all have some logo or insignia on their uniforms advertising something you know there's a there's a multitude of ads throughout the game and the one i really object to i really really object this one to this one is yeah. is betting oh yeah well that's everywhere now well betting was like the cancer of sports years ago Oh, no, no betting. I mean, poor Pete Rose. Look what he went through. And now they're trying to, to get your grandmother to sign up to do Las Vegas betting online. I think it's disgusting. I think it's disgusting, too. This moment passed without seemingly anybody remarking on it. It just happened that um, gambling was something to be held at arm's length, um, and it could corrode the integrity of the game. Uh, to embrace gambling culture. And then, like, three or four years ago, uh, everybody decided, you know what? It's great. And right. um, because we're desperate for advertisers, we're just going to go whole hog in on gambling. I hate seeing Phil Sims and Boomer Esiason talk about the spread and the talk spread. about the over-under on how many yards this quarterback is going to um, pass for. It's another thing that fragments our narrative because everybody's got their own bets and everybody's got their own numbers that they're watching. 
Um, I'm sure I've talked about before on the podcast how tedious I find it to watch sports with a gambler who's got all his different wagers out um, and, can't and watch doesn't really game. care about... Yeah, go is, ahead. You know, is not in the moment with you enjoying right. the game. Right. Like, I care... I don't care about the spread. I care about who wins the game, just like the players. Like, I like to be aligned with the players' motivations so that I can live vicariously through them, which is what sports is all about. Um, I think it's corrosive uh, in a number of different ways. I, you know, if you want to do it and it's that's a vice of yours, that's fine. You know, like, I'm not going to wag my finger at you but i don't think it should be such a constant part of the sports landscape and i hate explaining it to my kids which i have to because you know if leo wants to watch a football game with me he's going to be inundated with ads for draft kings and right whatever the hell else um i'm not a fan of it no and and the banner that comes up with the draft king odds and uh, which I don't understand, okay, because I'm not a better. Yeah. But it 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 it's uh it's intrusive, it's it's just a money grab, which irritates me, because don't make this all about the money. Don't kill it, in the name of making money. Well, they're squeezing it for sure. I mean, it's designed to make money. Let's have no bones about that, but they are squeezing it pretty hard, especially the NBA is shameless. I mean, they'll slap ads on anything. Anything. Um, I also want to say about the betting thing. Yeah. Uh, I do enjoy then the um, um, the little message that says, if you have a gambling problem, call. <laughs> right? Have you seen that? Yeah, they always have to put that. It's so pathetic. It almost underlines how craven it all is. Well, anyway, because I... they are preying on people's addictions. Yeah, yeah. And I'm... by the way, I'll just say um, <laughs> these apps make it impossible to really be a big winner. Like if you um, start racking up a trend of winning big, as a you know professional gambler might, they'll just kick you off. Like the really? the game is rigged. Like the house is rigged against you. You know, for recreational, like placing a bet on a lark or whatever. But you know, they talk about these big wins and uh, make it seem like you could, uh, you know, fuel a lavish laugh lifestyle with uh, all this gambling. <laughs> but no, they're they're not going to let you win. Um, there's there's a lot of smoke and mirrors at work in these apps too so yeah. it's a i again you know if you're doing it recreationally and it's a vice of yours that's that's fine i'm not going to question that but um be aware that this is a rotten industry and a rotten deal i agree um surely you must have gotten some shopping done over the weekend mom it was black for the month of black friday now <laughs> i know Whatever yeah. meaning there ever was in Black Friday has disappeared. But, but I'll tell you which one is really uh, confused is cyber. It's is it Cyber Monday, Cyber Tuesday, Cyber Sunday. Cyber has really gotten <laughs> lost uh, and lost its whole identity. So it's really well, especially sad. Especially when, when I've been getting Black Friday emails for the past month. Like the Cyber Monday, again, feels <laughs> even less special than it ever did, which was not very special at all. But uh, I just love how corporate America even ruins the holidays yep. that were made up by itself. Yeah. 
Like, you guys made up Black Friday, and now... Anyway, so how was your Black Friday, Mom? <laughs> well, I spent it on the couch. I actually um, uh, hurt my arm. Not really my arm. My clavicle, I guess, making bobbins for Anna. Because usually I stand on a stool and use the machine that makes the bobbins. And I didn't use the stool, so the arm action was completely different than it usually is. And I ended up uh, having to take Dad's massage appointment so that she could just work that muscle out. Oh, wow. Repetitive stress injury from yes. bobbin making. Yes. I know. I said, how do I go in and tell her it's a crafting injury? <laughs> anyway, uh, so I spent Black Friday on the couch, and I didn't really see any deals. I got some fun stuff for the kids. However, we did go yesterday because I went to get my hair cut, and I have a clock that I got from L.L. Bean that I really like. It's very simple. I know how to set the alarm. Uh, it takes two batteries. And it stopped working, and Dad put two batteries in, new batteries. It didn't work, and he banged it on the counter, and it didn't work. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> no twists in that story. No, no. So I took it down to the clock man in Concord, who looked like I took a dog turd out of my pocketbook when I pulled yeah, out the, this clock. Right. well-known clockmakers at L.L. Bean. Is this an analog clock or a... Yes. It has, so it has hands. Okay. Yes, yeah. It's at least that sophisticated. Yes. Okay. So as soon as I revealed it, he started shaking his head. I thought, wow, could you, you know, could you let me get it out of the, the bag yeah. first before you yeah. show your disdain for it? Oh, he said, these, these clocks are essentially crap. And I said, well, could you just look in it? No. He said, no. But I knew he would. And he did. And he... <laughs> How did you know? Do you know because the clock he's... man? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. He works in this little little uh, nook of a shop. Where else would a clock guy work than in a nook? <laughs> like, I don't... I don't picture you walking into the expansive clock shop. I just would yeah. naturally picture that guy in a nook. Yeah. And so there he is. So did he fix your clock? No, he opened it up and he said, here's what happened. It uh, A battery leaked and it corroded the connection and it goes all up through the, and then a lot of technical words. And um, so I took it home and threw it away. And I ordered another one from Amazon. Why didn't you get a clock from him? Because he, he doesn't sell, he's really just a repair person. He doesn't have any clocks lying around for you? There's hundreds of clocks in there, and I would love to be in there sometime on the hour, but I just never have been. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be fun. I would love that. You always get there at 124. That's right, yeah. and I'm only there for six minutes. I did want to tell you this other little short story. Uh, and I have a question for you at the end. I went to Target yesterday. Uh, I went to get paper products for your arrival. I'm going to make sure there's plenty of toilet paper, Kleenex, paper towels. You know, I want everybody to have everything they need. 
because of my explosive intestines or people are going to think like, wow, she really has to stock up for John. But just well, as, no. a, as just... a normal anticipation of a human visit. I realize that we have Kleenex in one spot for the whole house. So maybe everybody would just like a box of Kleenex in their bedroom. Uh, maybe so. You know, things like that. So I get to the checkout and I put all my stuff on the conveyor belt. Now, I just want to say I did not leave with just those three things because Target has something in the air that just makes you compulsively put stuff in your cart. Uh, it's a dangerous store for me. So yes. I get to the checkout and the guy says to me, you can leave all the big stuff in the cart and I'll get it that way. And I think, holy crap, this is going to take hours to get out of here. Well, he moved at, I'm going to say, a, 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 a rapid snail's pace <laughs> and made comments about three things, all of which my answers were not heard. But he was trying. And in the process. Like what? Um, um, I bought a big bar of Duke's uh, peppermint bark soap. Are, is this the same people who do the mayonnaise? No, you know the soap you have that you liked that had the big D on it? Oh, okay. It's different Duke. Okay. I thought he had branched out. Do you have Dukes where you are? I don't know. I never do the shopping oh, for that's mayonnaise. Right. <laughs> Anna does all the condiment shopping in this house. <laughs> so he says, what are you, he says, what are you going to do with the peppermint bark? And I said, uh, it's soap. And he said, oh, going to make soap. <laughs> and I let it ride because, you know. Yeah. And it went on like this. Now, at one point, I just sort of relaxed because um, I can. this is the pace it's going to go. And usually I'm just sort of like looking for the manager to say, uh, this yeah. You know, really, this is what you're given. But at some point, I just relaxed and sort of enjoyed it. Mm, and not like you. I know. I know. He had a dangly silver earring. He was an, he was elderly. He was elderly. He had a dangly silver earring in. So I spent some time thinking, you know, maybe he's uh, suffered the effects of drugs or whatever. Because of his dangly earring? Well, and his speech and the way he moved and, you know, okay. there was... there was, You're sizing him up. I'm sizing him up. Okay, yes. I didn't really come to any conclusion, mm -hmm. but I, at some point, enjoyed his... That he was working. You know, he wasn't standing outside with a sign saying, uh, I need money, blah, blah, blah. He's working. He's in yeah. here working and he may be slow and whatever. It's fine i you know good for him so yep. so that's where i reached until <laughs> another woman came up and started piling her stuff on the conveyor belt at which point i lost it 
And I'm just now laughing to myself because she has no idea what she's in for. Because <laughs> She's got like a cart piled yes, with hundreds of items. Yes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes. And I'm just trying to... Uh, and I just don't know why that struck me so funny. I mean, it uh, was it was a real like, <laughs> I can't hold it in. Um, and it had been so pleasant for me, so I couldn't really understand what her arrival, uh, what what happened to my mood when she arrived. Well, it, it, that's funny. I don't know what to say about that. Good story. Well, I don't know if it is a good story if I can't conclude what happened. No, it's not a very good story, but it's a story. <laughs> Shall we talk about Seinfeld? <laughs> talk about cruel statements. <laughs> well, it can't all be gold. All right, all right. But Merry Christmas, guy at Target that was so kind. Merry Christmas, guy at Target, and Merry Christmas, guy at the airport coffee shop, who <laughs> asked me if I'd like something to drink, and when I said I'd like a latte, looked at me as if I'd said his mother was ugly. <laughs> what did you expect me to say? You asked me if I want something to drink. Oh, he went over to that uh, coffee machine and shot me this glare as he was making what? this drink. I don't know. I don't know what I did to this guy, aside from... Answering in the affirmative, but um, your story made me think of that just because I started to laugh toward the end of that transaction because I was just like, what is your deal? Like, what are you so salty about? That's all our bad customer service stories for this week, I think. And when I say bad customer service, I mean both the customer service and the stories were bad, but that's that's it. You had to sit through all of those. Now we're going to talk about Seinfeld, specifically the strike. When a young scribe named Dan O'Keefe mentioned to his colleagues on the Seinfeld writing staff that his father had invented a holiday called Festivus, they insisted O'Keefe put the idea into a script. Grudgingly, O'Keefe unrepressed the memories and transformed Festivus into the brainchild of Frank Costanza, the volcanic patriarch portrayed on the show by Jerry Stiller. With its feats of strength, Airing of grievances and, of course, an aluminum pole for decoration, Festivus became one of Seinfeld's lasting legacies, a cultural refuge for those citizens who, like Frank Costanza, are put off by both the religious and the commercial aspects of Christmas. Here's a clip. And at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. And is there a tree? No, instead there's a pole. Requires no decoration. I find tinsel distracting. Frank, this new holiday of yours is scratching me right where I itch. Let's do it then. All right. Festivus is back! I'll get the pole out of the crawl's face. The story of Festivus appears in The Strike, Season 9, Episode 10 of Seinfeld, which is available on Netflix, on DVD, and in syndication everywhere. Just check your local listings. I'm sure The Strike is going to be on somewhere this month. Mom, was this episode a feat of strength, or will you be airing your grievances today? Uh, I already aired my grievances. So. Yeah, yeah, we both <laughs> took care of that. Yeah. Um, this episode has less Festivus in it than I remembered. Uh, 
Yeah, there's about five minutes of Festivus uh, content in the entire episode. I mean, it's not the episode isn't even called the Festivus. No. It's called the Strike. Um, and there's, you know, there's these plot lines about Kramer's uh, strike and then going back to work at the bagel shop and uh, Elaine trying to get this uh, free sandwich punch card back from this guy she really doesn't want to go out on a date with. Um, the, the Festivus is like the B or C plot line of this um, whole episode, but the... Um, and we learned very little about Festivus, right. right? Like what I the three things that I said: feats of strength, um, gearing of grievances, and aluminum pole. Like that's pretty much it, and that's what we see in that final scene where we actually uh, see uh, Festivus happen. Why do you think, given how little of it we see and how little there is to it, why do you think this has been such an enduring um, touchstone of Seinfeld? One among many, to be sure, but still. I think it has one of the greatest lines um, from Seinfeld. I got a lot of problems with you people. Uh, <laughs> said at the dinner table um, by by Jerry Stiller, who who is a was a genius. I think. I mean, I remember seeing him and his wife on the Ed Sullivan Show when they did comedy together, stand up, if you will call it that. Yeah, and Mira. Uh, and Mira together and i have loved them ever since then but he is (laughs) he was in a field by himself and really uh so funny he could say anything i think that would make you laugh but at the dinner table which we're all imposing our image of our beautiful dinner tables that we sit at at christmas and and his announcement of i got a lot of problems with you people (laughs) is so out of character for that scene uh, that's what i come away with also looking at through the eyes of uh, george's boss who yeah that was a great so george brings his boss along to prove that um festivus is a real holiday because he uses it as an excuse for giving out fake charity donation christmas cards at work um and I love the line where uh, Jerry Stiller's yelling at uh, Kruger. You know, sometimes he calls him Kruger. Sometimes he calls him Cougar. <laughs> and, you know, Jerry Stiller's yelling at him and, and says, um, you know, you run your books like you got a hot date with a babe who's, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> like, And Jerry Stiller often would, like, lose his train of thought um, as you know, on the set, right? You, know, you um, I only know this from the sort of DVD uh, clips that we watched um, one time when we went through the series. But often you see Frank Costanza like stop in the middle of the line or go on a weird digression in the middle of something he's saying, and it's funny. But also, like Jerry Stiller, often would you lose his place? Right. Right. Um, I always wonder if that line, I think that line was in the script that's my guess but i think they wrote it inspired by um jerry's <laughs> propensity to lose himself yeah. in a rant was that the the comment about silk sheets or yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah. you couldn't um you couldn't smooth a silk sheet <laughs> with a hot day if you had a hot day to, yeah something like that um it almost means something but doesn't quite that's what that's the beauty of it 
But that's the only grievance that's aired. We really get so little of Festivus. So I put the question to you again. Why has this endured? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure it has, because really the strike, I thought the strike, what, what, what is that? What are they talking about? I thought Kramer's part of it was so nothing. Uh, you know, the strike, he hasn't worked in 12 years. Okay, that was funny. Uh, the strike is over. He's going to work at the bagel shop and... Uh, there's a few funny things in there. Um, it gave us a little glimpse of the dating scene, how how you can uh, not have a date with somebody that you don't want to, but maybe you pay a price. I don't know, but Festivus just stood out. I think it was such a novel idea that let people say how silly some of the Christmas stuff is. and then And then you have the specifics. The airing of grievances, the sh the show of strength, or feats of strength, um, the aluminum pole just <laughs> cracks me up. It just cracks me up. Back in the fifties, there was a big trend to have a silver tree made mm. out of aluminum. Um, yeah, and uh, I remember the year we had one, and now they're very desirable and popular again people are frantic to get their hands on them and because they're made out of aluminum many of them have withstood the the passage of time um and that's what that aluminum pole reminds me of and i <laughs> it makes me laugh because it was a horrible tree but here's the pole I think that gets at um, why Festivus um, resonated with people uh, in part um, is that Frank has captured the worst aspects of Christmas, but also some very familiar ones. You know, I think it I think it resonates because a lot of people had a dad who had his own weird stuff that he likes to do at Christmas. And I'm sure someday the kids will talk yeah. about, you know, whatever I do that. Uh, to make the holiday fun for myself. Um, so I think people can identify with weird dad yeah, or weird yeah. uncle who's got his own ideas. But I think we also can identify with the airing of grievances. Like, we don't put that official title on it, but it can happen in a family gathering, right? It's almost yes, inevitable. right. Um, you know, George's remark that um, Frank detests the religious and commercial aspects of Christmas is, I think, one of, maybe the funniest line of the episode for me. And it, he's just sort of, it goes by so fast, you might not even notice it the first time you watch. But I think it actually does appeal to people who are put right. off by both the religious and the commercial aspects of Christmas. Um, and it... Um, jokingly strips Christmas bear, I think, and exposes it. And it's so funny that Frank fixates on the right. worst. Um, yes, the metal tree. Like, what's the extreme of the fake aluminum tree? Just an aluminum pole. And imagine right. you know, and right. eagerly anticipating the airing of grievances at the, at the Christmas table. So even though it's supposed to be the anti-Christmas, I think it captures some very familiar aspects of Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate this time of year that everybody can uh, glom onto. Right. It's sort of... Uh takes all the elements uh, that come naturally with the holiday 
you know, fighting over politics, fighting over, you know, whatever, what Aunt Sue gave you and didn't give me and all that. Um, it's all rolled up and here's a whole holiday about all those things. All those things. I'd like to tip my cap to one of the uh, maybe unsung heroes of this episode, which is the creep in the back of the OTB teller booth. The long haired. <laughs> who ends up at the table. Who ends up at the Festivus table. Um, that's another thing that makes that scene great. In Seinfeld fashion, all the plot lines come together and everybody ends up at the table and Kramer keeps declaring it a Festivus miracle that he's ruined everybody's <laughs> day by telling everybody like Kramer is really the engine um, that ruins everyone's uh, Festivus. But right, uh, right. yeah, the OTB guys show up and in particular that scruffy long haired dude like, wow, that guy knew how to play a creep. I don't know if that's really a compliment. <laughs> I don't know if it is either, but they he nailed it. He did. He did, because now they're hot on Elaine, and all she's trying to do is get her free sub sandwich at a, at a subpar place. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you, we had a uh, an acquaintance, I don't know if it was business or whatever, but for years, that would send us a, a Christmas letter telling us that he had made a donation to some charity um in our name that our name and what every year all i could think of was oh great now i'm on another list for oh. junk mail and <laughs> yeah uh, you know it, just don't don't uh, i don't how do you feel about that uh without offending everyone how do you feel about that i have in the past asked people to give to a particular charity in yes. my name for my birthday or whatever yes. when I don't want or need any gifts, which is most of the time. Um, right. If it's prompted by the gift recipient, I think it, it's a very nice gesture. And if you know that it's a cause they are personally passionate about, I also think that's a, that's a fine gift, you know, uh, right. maybe not for your wife, but for your acquaintance, sure, or your work colleague. Like, uh, yeah, I think that's okay if it's something you know they yeah. care about. But the way that Watley does it, or that, I mean, George's version is even worse, of course, because it's completely fake, but not that much different right. in practice, honestly. Um, in any case, yeah, I find that um, kind of cold. I don't get a lot of warm fuzzies from that. Well, when I think about it, now we don't have, he, he has past this this man that did that and you're right he was an acquaintance but you know it was his charity right i don't know you know so i didn't have any um you know if he was giving to a key to rescue or uh the guinea pig rescue that i like which i have donated to then i think it would mean yeah something but i don't that's not really Right. <laughs> well, it's not wrong, <laughs> but it's just not a great gift, I don't think. Okay. Well, I think I feel better that we talked about that because 
I didn't really uh, think that through that that if it was a, a charity that was near and dear to my heart, I would enjoy that. This is actually another aspect of this episode that came out of real life because the writers came up with this uh, prompted by um, Castle Rock, the um, like production company um, for Seinfeld, uh, would every year give uh, these envelopes to uh, all the staffers and writers um, with a slip inside that said, we've given money in your name to X charity. And... Um, <laughs> The um, apparently one day one of the writers said, like, I wish we could at least know how much the donation was so that we could write it off our Mm. taxes. And they all found that such a selfish notion that they decided to put that um, develop that George uh, storyline. But uh, yeah, a lot of I mean, a ton of the stuff on Seinfeld is based on real life experiences of the cast and writers. um, And this is another case of that. All right, Mom, what is your grade for The Strike, Season 9, Episode 10 of Seinfeld? Well, I'm going to give it an A because I could go right back tonight and watch it again, I think, and and still get a good laugh out of it. Uh, so it has real staying power, and I'm going to give it an A. Uh, final season. Final season yes! of Seinfeld, and they they sure were going strong till the end. Um, it's strange. Anna and I are slowly working our way through the series. I think we're about halfway through, and so I was sort of jumping ahead. Um, and it's funny to see how all the lore has built up. You know, the show is a very Spartan show at first, and there's not really any major continuity from one week to the next. They sort of experiment with that early on. There's a yeah. trip to Los Angeles, but large... By and large, there's not a lot of built-up mythos, but by the time they're in the ninth season, um, they there is a lot of that built up, inevitably, and there's a moment, for instance, where Kruger um, greets Kramer um, and says to him, oh, Dr. Van Nostrand, because in an earlier episode, Kramer pretended to be this doctor, um, right. and they had right. to sort of account for that. Um, <laughs> So uh, I enjoyed seeing that, how the show, despite its best efforts, did build build up um, some lore and mythology that had to be woven into the thing. Uh, Mom, do you have a recommendation this week? Well, I do have a recommendation. And actually, I do have a a, a little question for you. I uh, just read Hal by Carl Hyacin. Um, It's a, a young adult read. Oh. And it's it was very, very entertaining. And I think I'm going to investigate some more young adult books from the library. And if anybody has a recommendation, I would love to hear it. But, Johnny, what book did you read as a 12-year-old that you remember reading? Where the Red Fern Grows. Oh. Oh, a true classic. Well, it's a story about I didn't have any dogs and I didn't hunt. So that would seem to make this story not terribly relatable since it's about a boy and his dog. Um, but and his two dogs, right? Right. Um, but it's also a story about a boy who spends a ton of time in the woods, which I certainly did as a kid. You know, we had that huge woods. Um 
right in our backyard. All I had to do was hop over the stream, and I seemingly had endless forest to roam in and explore. Um, so I really loved that book as a kid, and it's, um, you know, the, the title, I guess I won't quote-unquote spoil it for people, but the title gets at the most heartbreaking um, moment in the book. I, I don't know that I had been moved so much by a book um, in my life to that point before reading that one. So I really remember where the red fern grows, and I remember another one, Hatchet by Gary, Paul, Gary Paulson. Paulson, yeah. I remember that. It begins with the pilot of his small plane having a heart attack deep in the Canadian wilderness, and all this kid has basically is a hatchet um, that he got as a present. And he has to survive. I love survival okay. stories like that. The Martian is one I read as an adult. That's a sci-fi uh, stranded on Mars survival story. And I okay. love those. All right. If anybody has any more suggestions like that, I am happy to uh, look at that. Okay. Great recommendation, Mom. That'll do it for this edition of Pop Mom. Mom and I will be back soon to talk about more pop culture, but oh, what should we talk about? Um, um, I know, I do know. Oh, good. I think so- something interesting. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah. Something interesting. In fact, yeah. I feel interested in the Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas special. But oh! we'll see. Thank you for listening. <laughs> if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Tell them that we are back for a. 10 episode season here and we'd love to get email here it comes everybody here's the address it's popmom at ological.net talk to us about anything we love you mom and i will talk to you again next week bye for now mom bye johnny i love you love you too